0: Majority will legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done
1: and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. By now, you probably know that New York has a new governor. Kathy Hochul was sworn in this week at the state capitol in Albany. But what you might not know is that that was never part of the plan. When she was a kid, Kathy Hochul wanted to be a lawyer. More specifically, she wanted to work in Washington for someone who could make a real difference. And that happened. Hochul started her career working for New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, balancing her time between Washington and Buffalo. And during that time, she says she never thought about becoming New York's first female governor or governor at all. Her goal, she says, was to help people. That's it. And she eventually got into politics. She was elected to the Hamburg Town Board, that's in Erie County. She went on to be elected county clerk and served a term in Congress. Then, seven years ago, she was elected lieutenant governor. All of that led to this week, this moment, in which she now holds more power than anyone else in New York. And in her first days in office, she's already made her mark. Take a look. Until his last minute in office, Andrew Cuomo left as Andrew Cuomo was, headstrong and determined to make a point. And on Monday, that point was clear. In his final words to New Yorkers, Cuomo claimed again without evidence that he was forced out by his political enemies and that he's been smeared by false claims. This time, he took another shot at the state attorney general's office, which found several claims of sexual harassment made against him to be credible this month.
0: A firecracker can start a stampede. The Attorney General's report was designed to be a political firecracker on an explosive topic, and it worked.
1: But now, New York turns to a new chapter with now-Governor Kathy Hochul. New York's 57th governor and the first woman to serve in the role was sworn in Tuesday and immediately sought to strike a different tone than Cuomo. When asked what she wanted to do with her time in office, Hochul said public trust would come first.
0: I want people to believe in their government again. It's important to me that people have faith. Our strength comes from the faith and the confidence of the people who put us in these offices. And I take that very seriously.
1: But in the short term, Hochul said she would address top issues facing New Yorkers head on, starting with the coronavirus. The Delta variant has bumped New York's COVID-19 positivity rate to levels not seen since April. And with no sign of that stopping, Hochul said later Tuesday that she would focus on vaccination rates and how to push them higher.
0: None of us want a rerun of last year's horrors with COVID-19. Therefore, we will take proactive steps to prevent that from happening.
1: Hochul said she'd also break the logjam of federal COVID relief funds, like money promised to tenants and families in need. But aside from the pandemic, Hochul's first day in office was spent boosting state policies on ethics and sexual harassment in a callback to Cuomo's downfall. Now, All state workers will undergo ethics training and annual sexual harassment trainings will be done in person to prevent workers from skipping through it online.
0: In a new era of transparency, one of my hallmarks of my administration, to me, it's very simple. We'll focus on open ethical governing that New Yorkers will trust.
1: And so far... Leaders from the state legislature are on board with those plans. Hochul met privately this week with Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie for the first time since taking office. Both had a tense relationship with Cuomo, who was notorious for backroom deals and horse trading in Albany. And for them, this is an opportunity to start fresh. Senate Majority Leader Stewart-Cousins.
0: Well, it feels good. It's it's a sense of, you know, whatever has to be done, we will do in order to make the, the lives of New Yorkers better.
1: And that's always good. And in something new to Albany, women hold the cards. Top issues in New York are usually negotiated behind closed doors between the governor, the Senate Majority Leader, and the Speaker of the State Assembly. And until two years ago, that was always three men also known in Albany speak as three men in a room. Now, it's two women in a room with one man, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty. And he said for him, that's a good thing.
0: Well,
2: I'll say this is probably the happiest time for me to be in the minority. So, um, uh, and I just think it's a wonderful opportunity. I think any time that, a, that, a, that a, a glass ceiling has been broken, I think it's good for, for all of us. I think it's good for us as a country, as a state, uh, as a people.
1: And even Republicans are optimistic about this new era in Albany, but aren't sold just yet. State Senator Jim Tedisco was elected more than three decades ago, so he's been through a lot of governors. And while he likes this one better than the last, he says Republicans will be watching Hochul to see how she handles things like the economy and the rising cost of living. We want her to be successful. to want to help her be successful. But we gotta call her out if she's not doing those things, which are gonna make upstate and the entire state a better place to live, work, send your kids to school and stay here. But that could all change after a few months in office. The big test will come next year, when Hochul lays out her plan for the state budget in January. Under Governor Cuomo, the budget process was always a tense time. He was known to strong-arm lawmakers to get what he wanted. But Governor Hochul could play things differently, and that might be to her benefit. Mark Ustin is a longtime Albany lobbyist who served in the Pataki administration.
3: Uh, I mean, one could argue that that means she uh, is going to uh, advance an executive budget that is more attractive uh, to some of her potential political allies. I think you could argue exactly the opposite that. In fact, she's going to come in like every other governor did. But then maybe when it comes time uh, to finalize the budget, you'll you'll, you'll see uh, a level of deal making uh, that would be beneficial.
1: Hoka will have the next four months to prepare for that moment. And when it comes, the legislature will be watching. And on Thursday, Governor Hochul announced her new Lieutenant Governor, that's State Senator Brian Benjamin. He's a Harlem native who went to Harvard and came back to New York to work in the banking industry. That was until he decided to move in a different direction, building affordable housing and eventually running for State Senate, where he's been now for four years. And we don't know what he'll do just yet as LG, but he says he'll partner with Hochul on top issues facing New Yorkers. New York State
4: government has to work. And Governor Kathy Hochul, I will do everything I can to help you make sure that we deliver for the state of New York.
1: So let's talk about that and the other news of the week with this week's panel. Zach Williams is from City and State, and Kate Lisa is from Johnson Newspapers. Thank you both for being here.
5: Thank Thanks you, for you.
1: So Kate, I want to go to you first. What was your impression of Kathy Hochul's first days? It's uh, been a while since we've had a new governor, about a decade now. How did she hit the ground running here?
5: Um, it was, of course, tremendous for the state. I mean, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on, any time a glass ceiling is shattered, it benefits all of us. And, you know, we have a large state, uh, diverse communities. And, you know, she came out really hitting the ground running with ideas, promising change for the culture in Albany. And I know she's got a lot of pressure because as the first woman governor, everyone's going to be watching her and seeing if she's going to practice what she preaches and I guess you know the perception what uh, how she will be received so I hope that the culture in Albany, the transparency, more collaboration between levels of government does happen the way that she's saying, and we'll have to see how that goes.
1: I hope so. Hope springs eternal. Albany's is definitely not known for being transparent. <laughs> so hopefully that changes right, with her. Yeah. You mentioned diversity, and, and I will point out just for our viewers, Um, I frequently walk around the second floor, which is the governor's floor in the state capitol, and immediately, since she took office and since the transition began, I've immediately seen many more people of color on the second floor, which was something I didn't expect to happen so fast. Uh, Zach, what should we expect out of Hochul's first days in office beyond this week? I'm talking about like the first 45 days, first two months. What's she planning?
3: Well, her number one task is to show she's not Governor Andrew Cuomo, that she's the first female governor in state history. She's going to reinvent the place. battle sexual harassment, and really just set a new tone of politics in state government. Um, But she also has some some challenges right from the get go COVID-19. She spoke a lot about um, issuing a mask mandate through the Department of Health and of course, supporting local governments, and school districts with vaccine mandates. There's rising crime is also a huge concern that we saw in the New York City mayor's race, um, specifically, and really, she just has to show that she's in command, um, that there is continuity of government and that people can expect a less tumultuous um, upcoming months compared to what we've seen over the last year or two
1: goodness i hope so you know with the previous administration just speaking as reporters sometimes it was very very difficult to talk to them about stories really about anything else and more importantly to get data from them it was a nightmare to get data from them sometimes especially from the agencies that just didn't have the quick response because they would have to go through the second floor, through the the Cuomo administration's press people to get approval for everything. (laughs) Kate, uh, how do we see Hochul handling that with the press? We're all journalists here. Do we see a change?
5: Well, first off, I mean, she did mention that FOIL requests, Freedom of Information Law requests would be, I guess, expedited, at least compared to what we have seen in the past. We'd seen delays, stalls for so many different reasons. And, you know, kind of we would be stuck in limbo, like not much we could do about um, about that sometimes unless they wanna work with us. So uh, that's enlightening or, or I guess encouraging. I hope I hope that that's what happens. And um, there's supposed to be a, uh, she said that all the state agencies will have to look at themselves and, and their transparency. And she's saying that she wants those, um, you know, the departments to issue reports more often, or, or um, you know, details remain to be seen, and hopefully we will get those in the coming weeks here. Um, but yeah, I hope this is a new era. I hope that this uh, really, I mean, as you mentioned, the the culture did already feel a little differently. I mean, even how people were walking or speaking or just um, interacting with each other. So hopefully that will, you know, translate to more transparency for us and then for New Yorkers as a whole.
1: I hope so too, it, it was all very tense with the Kohl administration at times, both for us and both for staffers in the administration. I filed my first FOIA request with the Hochul administration on Wednesday, so the clock is ticking, <laughs> we we'll see what happens. <laughs> Zach, Excellent. is this just a honeymoon period? Is this just a time where Governor Hochul is coming in, making a lot of um, big promises, saying a lot of nice things and then in a few months, we might see her become more like past governors. Maybe not a Governor Cuomo, but maybe somebody who uh, realizes that they can't get everything done that they want to.
3: We're we're undoubtedly in a honeymoon period. It's very exciting, the first female governor in state history again. We cannot discount the significance of that. Um, At the same time though, she's been, she's. Really benefited from the timing. Back when these scandals erupted against the governor back in the early spring, you know, we were really wondering are we going to have a new governor a week before the state budget deadline? That's right. no time at all to transition to office, much less make really big decisions and negotiations with lawmakers. Now she has several months before the going really gets tough um, with, with the new year, state budget, the new legislative session. So I think she does have a little bit of space. And we heard from Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty and State Senate Majority. Cousins that they would kind of give her a little bit of time to to get her team together. The new governor herself said that she's looking at a 45-day transition period. But for now, everything is sunny in Albany. It's summertime. Mm. Everyone's happy. Um, But we'll see how things look in a couple weeks.
1: So I want to stay with you, Zach, for a second. Let's talk about Brian Benjamin, the state's soon-to-be lieutenant governor. Uh, I don't remember when she said he would take office. It might be another two-week transition. Zach, what do we know about Brian Benjamin as a uh, politician, as himself, how will he fit into this role?
3: Well, he adds um, to the historic significance of the administration as just the second black person to be lieutenant governor. Can't discount that either. It's not every day you have so much diversity in an administration. Um, He's been in the state Senate a few terms. He comes from Harlem, deep connections to the Manhattan Democratic Party, ran for city comptroller, came in fourth. So I think you really got to take him in two ways. One, he matches the personal style of Hochul really well. He's kind of seen as a nice guy in the legislature. Um, But at the same time, she needs to run for a full term in office immediately. Mm -hmm. The primary is in June, so she just has a few weeks, a few months to really um, set the terms of the coming campaign. And it looks like she is focusing on downstate. Those are the voters she's going to need to beat likely challengers like Attorney General Letitia James. And selecting a LG and presumptive running mate seems like it will give her some inroads to black voters specifically. Um, so, you know, all in all, it seemed to be a choice that made a lot of sense for her.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that he will be good in the city for her, but, the, and I know to win the governorship, you need New York City. There's no way that you can lose New York City and win the governorship. But as far as upstate, Kate, do we see Brian Benjamin appealing to voters upstate? He uh, is obviously very New York City centric. I don't know whether he's traveled upstate at all where he's been outside of the five boroughs, except for Albany, of course. How do we see him appealing to upstate voters next year in the election?
5: Well, so the, of course the Republicans were very quick to come out and, and highlight his history of some, uh, supporting some really far left policies for criminal justice, You know um, other things that he has i think championed like um affordable housing and things like that so he's in
1: favor of the defund the police movement they say right i will say i actually do not know what his position is on that so take that with a grain of salt but
5: sorry absolutely right and that's um that's all what we have to all be mindful of and watching and seeing uh if if any of those positions have evolved how they have and and uh, you know i do think it will be more difficult for him in those upstate communities they are traditional republican strongholds right and um change is difficult for some of these people and this is a lot of change at one time so i guess you know um i'm curious to see what kind of changes will be made that are kind of in the middle there are many that could benefit all of us like the transparency that we talked about so Perhaps there's a chance to bridge that divide or that tension a little bit, but I'm hoping that um, that happy day that we have in Albany, that, that <laughs> sunshine, right, um, maybe it can stay a little while.
1: We'll see. We've got to leave it there. Kate Lisa from Johnson Newspapers, Zach Williams from City and State. Thank you all so much. So while a lot of this week's news focused on the new administration, there's also a big deadline coming up next week. On Tuesday, the state's eviction moratorium is scheduled to expire. And that means, without help, thousands of tenants could be evicted from their homes with nowhere to go. And that has a lot of people worried and calling on the state to do something. One of those people is Christine Quinn. She's the former speaker of the New York City Council, who now runs WIN, a homeless services provider. And she says the state needs to act. We spoke this week. Christine, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it.
0: I'm happy to be here.
1: So the eviction moratorium is expiring in New York next Tuesday. It's a very big deal for a lot of tenants. We don't know what's gonna happen between now and then, now being Wednesday when I'm taping with you. So what can we expect out of the end of the eviction moratorium? What are the consequences here for tenants who haven't been able to pay their rent?
0: Well, there are two issues going on right now. One, the potential expiration of the eviction moratorium, and then two, a Supreme Court ruling around the moratorium. So let me start with the expiration. If the moratorium expires on Tuesday, we will have countless, countless thousands of New Yorkers who will have a huge bill come due all of the rent that they have not paid throughout the course of the pandemic. Many, many of those New Yorkers, particularly the women and the people of color, will be still unemployed. You know, I run a uh, organization, WIN for homeless families, women and children. 25% of our moms lost their jobs because of the pandemic. Mm. So you're gonna end up with people who, maybe have never been on the verge of homelessness before being on the verge of homelessness. And unless there is an intervention very quickly, many of those people, if not most, will end up in shelter. And we've already seen the tension and the stress around more people in shelter and more single people in shelter as it relates to COVID, moving them to hotels, et cetera.
1: So before we get to the Supreme Court ruling that uh, you're going to talk about, if this happens, if the moratorium expires, can landlords immediately evict their tenants based on non-payment of rent? Can it happen literally the next day?
0: No. A landlord can never kind of come to the door and hammer, get out sign, you're evicted on the door. They have to go through the court system. But there isn't necessarily anything in place right now that would prevent the court from evicting someone. The tenant will have time. They'll have the whole court process. But remember, this is a tenant who didn't, because of the pandemic, have the resources to pay their rent they're not going to have the resources to have a lawyer and the vast majority of landlords will have a lawyer so the likelihood of a tenant prevailing is not very good there are lawyers out there from legal aid and legal services but they're that are free and terrific but they're not enough of them so there's time hopefully to find another place but it's not a good situation.
1: So the legislature could extend the eviction moratorium between now and Tuesday, but there's this tricky situation that you brought up about the Supreme Court striking down part of that moratorium that we have on the books right now. What's that about and what would lawmakers need to do to fix that to make it totally valid?
0: Right, because the legislature or the the new governor could all act and extend the moratorium. The Supreme Court, landlords brought a case to the Supreme Court around the moratorium. And the Supreme Court basically said the way the process has been set up, which is that I attest on a piece of paper that I can't pay my rent. There's nowhere in the process where the landlord can say that's not true. I know she has a job and makes three hundred thousand dollars a year i know she has a trust fund i know she has this i know she has that has denied landlords due process so all that would have to happen is the legislature would have to introduce a piece of legislation which would say there has to be a hearing to confirm that Uh, uh, the situation or the condition that the tenant says they're in, they're really in. I don't believe people are lying. People wouldn't put themselves in this kind of financial peril if they didn't have to. So it's just a a bureaucratic step. There's no reason, whether you're pro-tenant, anti-tenant, you wouldn't vote for that legislation. So it should be really easy to pass. And the uh, legislators who are working on it are in the final stages of drafting it.
1: So you mentioned Governor Hochul as well. What could she do to protect tenants right now? I don't know, and you you may know that I don't know if she can really do an eviction moratorium by herself. What are her options here?
0: Well, she, before being sworn in as governor, uh, uh, Kathy Hochul spoke out saying she's not going to let what the Supreme Court did stand and she's not going to let the moratorium expire. So she's ready to go to do something. Um, I believe she has some level of power to do it herself, but it's always better if you can do it with the legislature, because then it it just has a firmer, tighter uh, uh, legal wrapper around it, if you will. And, And I think she wants to get that done.
1: So let's say the governor and the legislature don't do anything for whatever reason, whether they have legal obstacles, they just can't get it done in time, and we're seeing these mass evictions of tenants, like you said, thousands of people without a home. You're based in New York City, your organization serves people in New York City, Does New York City even have the infrastructure and the services to help these people out if this happens?
0: No, I mean, the the truth is, you know, we're talking of thousands of people. And if they, you know, on a quick rolling basis, get evicted and have to go into shelter, we don't have enough shelters. I mean, we're building more shelters. Uh, uh, You know, We don't have that capacity. We see, because of that lack of capacity, that, For families, the city rents old-time welfare hotels and puts them in there where there are no services at all. And although the folks who are using the the eviction moratorium may never have been you know, in the system, so to speak, they're now in a position where they owe a tremendous amount of money, they've been evicted, and they may have lost their jobs, so they do need social service help. So we're in a place where we have a a shelter system that does not have the capacity to absorb this enormous number of people, nor is it prepared service-wise to help them get out of shelter quickly.
1: It's a scary situation. I couldn't imagine being a tenant right now that wasn't able to pay my rent through the pandemic. And now this deadline is coming up and I would have no idea what my life was going to be in the next month or so. So we'll see what happens in the next week. Uh, Hopefully some solution comes about that can protect these tenants. But we do have to leave there, Kristen Quinn from Wynn and the former New York City Council Speaker. Thank you so much. And if you or someone you know is at risk of eviction, head to the state's website to apply for relief. That's at ODTADOTNY.gov. You'll be safe from eviction for at least a year if you qualify. In the meantime, the Delta variant continues to spread here in New York, affecting the coming school year and more, Daryl Camp is here with details, Daryl.
2: That is correct, Dan. As schools prepare to reopen for the fall, Governor Kathy Hochul says that masks will be required in New York schools. That's at least partially because of the surge in cases due to the Delta variant. We spoke with Dr. Alan Sanders, the infectious disease specialist at Albany Medical Center, about those concerns. He says
4: the variant is affecting young people differently. We are getting admissions to the hospital, people who are vaccinated and they've had breakthrough. But we're having many more people who are coming in who are unvaccinated and are younger. Um, But the mortality rates per se aren't increasing because this virus hasn't proven yet to be more lethal than the previous viruses that are out there. Concerning the concept of herd immunity,
2: Sanders says the Delta variant has increased the threshold. Previously, experts set a goal of 70% vaccination, but Sanders believes it's now much higher than that.
4: So things that aren't as transmissible, like influenza, compared to this virus, you don't need 80% of people vaccinated to keep down a pandemic situation. So when the virus changed and mutated and could mutate again, we're looking at a kind of the goalpost is moving for herd immunity. We got to get to 80, maybe 85% vaccine status, maybe even 90% in some places to really reach herd immunity.
2: Ultimately, he says that long term, this won't be the last push for vaccinations
4: and it's not respecting seasonal variations at all or any part of the world so it keeps going so i think by and large that's given us the idea that this is going to be here for a long time to come and we'll probably need a seasonal uh vaccine or an annual vaccine against this virus and it'll probably be a new one every year that comes by and it'll have to be predicted by what variant is out there so it
2: looks like the virus might just be something we'll have to live with every year
1: All right. Thanks so much, Daryl. And thank you for watching this week's New York Now. Don't forget to visit our website every day for real-time updates from the state capitol. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching this week's New York
0: Now. Have a great week and be well.